Good morning, Maple Grove. All right. Hey, welcome to church. Hey, hey this morning, we, we are jumping out of our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew to begin a, a four-week series called uh, Greater Than. It, it's four conversations uh, uh, about the grace of God. And the next few weeks, we'll unpack such truth as grace is greater than our hurts. It's greater than our circumstances. It's greater than our weaknesses. And grace is greater than our mistakes. Uh, question, could anybody out there use some more grace poured out in their lives? Okay, three of you, that's awesome, okay. Okay, let's do this. Uh, I want to begin today by reading a few passages about three people who discovered that grace is greater than, and then we're going to pray into our time of study. Uh, the first is a guy named Paul, and, and Paul wrote this letter to his, uh, his son in the faith, Timothy, and this is chapter one uh, of 1 Timothy, beginning at verse 15, he says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I will show mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The next verse is from John chapter 8, is where uh, Jesus encounters a woman who was caught up in sin and thrown in the dirt before him. That Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. The last is from John chapter 4 where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman who came to a well to draw water. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him for living water. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. We're amazed by your grace. We're amazed by your mercy. We're amazed by your patience with finite, falling, frail people like us. And God, I I pray that uh, your word will come with power today. God, I pray for open hearts and open minds. I pray that we'll come to realize that your grace is greater than our sin. It's greater than our failures, greater than our mistakes. And God, I ask that you would help me to teach your truth in a way that brings you honor, that I in no way would get in the way of what you would have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. Every now and then you can find an article that talks about some new words that have been added to the dictionary. Now, someone who likes to make up their own words, I find it interesting to hear a new word that wasn't recognized in our vocabulary before. I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear a new word, I like to try to guess the definition of the word before I find out what that definition actually is. And so here's a few words that were added to the dictionary. Not not an academic dictionary necessarily, but nevertheless added to a dictionary. So I'm going to throw out a few words and see if you you can guess the meaning of these words. The first word is the word phonesia. Phonesia. Okay, what do you think phonesia means? Now, now, when I first heard this, I, I thought it was like, 
you know, the phenomenon where you can't remember to put your phone. And I'm so thankful my computer can do find my phone, right? I hit that like all the time, find my phone, all right? But here's what it actually means. It's the act of dialing a phone number and forgetting who it is that you were calling. <laughs> Phonesia, all right? And we can use that, right? Like the next time you call somebody, right? And they answer the phone and you say, who is it? They say, well, you called me. You can say, oh, that's right. But it's just a case of phonesia. Uh, here's another word, disconfect. Disconfect. And, and you may want to use this word later on with all the Halloween candy lying around. Here's what disconfect means. The attempt to sterilize a piece of candy you dropped on the floor by blowing on it, right? <laughs> hey, mom, it's no big deal. I can still eat it. I disconfected it, all right? Uh, here's the next word, blamestorming. Blamestorming. Uh, not brainstorming. Uh, brainstorming is where a group of people gather in a room to develop new ideas and strategies to help an organization overcome challenges, to move forward, to reinvent themselves. Again, that's brainstorming, and that's a good thing. But here's what blamestorming is, and it's not so good. Sitting in a group of two or more people discussing who's responsible for the organization's problems rather than trying to solve them. Blamestorming. And that's pretty common, right? I mean, people sitting in circles, around tables, standing in hallways, on debate platforms, posting on social media. And instead of brainstorming to fix problems, they engage in blamestorming and try to blame everybody else except themselves. Question, have you ever been in a blamestorming session? Probably so. And ever been part of a blamestorming session that was productive, positive, and God-honoring? Probably not. Here's the next word. Intaxation. Intaxation. Okay? It's the euphoria you feel when you get a tax refund, which lasts until you realize, hey, that was my money to begin with. I got money. But wait, wait a second. They have my money for 12 months. It's not so great. Okay? Now, I got three more words I want to introduce you to. And actually, each week in this series, I'm going to introduce you to these words. These are some part of Gen Z's vocabulary. Gen Z, if you're born after 1996, all right? Now, so I'm going to give a word that you may have not heard. And see, this is going to allow you to, to seem really cool to your kids, right? And understand what's going on. Or maybe it's people you work with. Here's the first word. They're not going to show it yet. Good job. First word is simp. S-I-M-P. Anybody know what that means? Simp. Okay. It means when someone does way too much for a person they like. Here's how you use it. Man, look at him. He is totally simping over her. All right? Guys, go home and simp over your wife. Amen? All right? Here's, here's the next word. Drip. Drip. This is an adjective used to describe an outfit that is extremely fashionable and stylish. It's often used on social media when people feel they are dripping, metaphorically, in designer items. Here's how you use it. Look at that drip. You look so fab. All right? Okay? Try that this week, right? Uh, uh, thirsty. Thirsty. Um, desperate, usually for attention. How to use it. Be careful not to post too many selfies on the same day, or you're going to end up looking thirsty. All right? Or you could say, our pastor always seems so thirsty when he keeps begging for amen all the time, all right? <laughs> and again, we're going to do this because I want you guys to understand what they're saying. 
and also so that you will sound cool and not be so vanilla, ordinary, and boring. <laughs> I got printed out, so there's like, so this is, a, anyhow, I have too much fun with that. Anyhow, uh, these are new words, or old words with new meanings. And, and they tend to, tend to get our attention, right, because we, we've never heard them before. We don't know what they mean. However, when it comes to familiar words, to words we know, after a while we tend to overlook them. We, we don't give them much attention. I mean, we pretty much assume, hey, I, I already know what that word means. And so we just kind of stick them on a the shelf thinking, yeah, I know that word. But here's the deal. For the next four weeks, I want us to approach grace as if we've never heard about grace before. And try to receive it new. And brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that we need to receive grace new Because for many of us in this room, grace is a word that we are pretty familiar with, but we set it on shelf for many years, and yeah, we use it from time to time, and as one guy I read this week wrote, we talk as though we understand the term. The bank gives us a grace period, the CD politician falls from grace, musicians speak of a grace note, we describe an actress as gracious, a dancer as graceful. We use the word for hospitals, baby girls, kings, and pre-meal prayers. We talk as though we know what grace means, especially at church. But do we really understand it? End quote. And here's the, here's the BL. That's bottom line. <laughs> oh, he's going to kill me. But that's what I wrote. It says BL in my notes because it's abbreviation. It takes less time. Here's the bottom line for most of us. Grace no longer amazes us as it should. In many ways, it's lost its power, its beauty, and its impact in our lives. And listen, getting grace always makes a difference and has an impact not just on our life, but on the world. Check out what Paul said about the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Here's what Paul says. This same good news that came to you, is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your life from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. The day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So let me throw out a getting grace equation. Uh, Getting grace equals change lives, and the bearing of fruit all over the world. Your life has changed, and you bear fruit all over the world. Getting grace is good. It's needed. It's a powerful thing. Uh, On the other side of the spectrum, the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, he, he writes about the danger of missing grace. Hebrews 12, verse 15. See to it, someone say see to it, that no one misses out on the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and thus contaminates many. And so missing grace equals bitterness, trouble, and the contamination of many. See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God. Why? Because when we get grace, our lives are changed and fruit is born all over the world. And when we miss grace, we have trouble and bitterness that not only contaminates us, but other people as well. See to it that no one misses out on God's grace. 
And what a tragedy that would be, right? I mean, to go to church, to be a part of a faith community, but yet somehow miss the grace of God. And listen, when it comes to grace, we all need to increase our FOMO, right? F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. See, I'm just full of it today, right? F-O-M-O, FOMO, right? We need to increase our fear of missing out on God's grace. Like, I'm okay with you missing a lot of things, but don't miss this. Don't miss the grace of God. Because what we're going to see over the next few weeks, it's grace that makes all the difference. And listen, without it, without grace, there's no gospel, there's no hope, there's no church, there's no salvation. Get it? Good. And brother says, when grace is missed, when grace isn't present, when you remove grace, or replace grace with some kind of cheap substitute, you know what happens? Things turn toxic, and they turn toxic rather quickly. Have you ever found yourself in a graceless relationship, a graceless church, a graceless job, a graceless home, a graceless world? Now, this morning, we're going to unpack the truth that grace is greater than our mistakes. Got any? Got any mistakes, any failures, any, any shortcomings, any sin? Listen, I know you do because mankind has been sinning ever since the garden when Adam and Eve sunk their teeth in the forbidden fruit. And, and how did God respond to their rebellion, to their sin, with his amazing grace? Promising them that one day, from the seed of woman, the Messiah would come and crush the head of Satan, defeating death, sin, and the grave once and for all time. Now listen, from that point on, from Genesis 3.16, all throughout until Revelations, we see a God who's just crazy about pouring out his grace on a mistakeful people. Which is why if we're ever going to understand grace, we must understand our need for it. We must understand what? Our need for grace. And here's the deal. We can't talk about grace without talking about sin. Now, some people try to do that. I I don't know how you do that. Like, I I don't know how you appreciate salvation. I don't know how you embrace grace without understanding sin. I I don't know how you can do that. Like, I don't know how you can talk about Jesus as a Savior and and have that mean anything unless we talk about what Jesus is saving us from, unless we talk about sin. I really like what Max Lucado Uh, writes in his book, Grace, More Than We Deserve, Greater Than We Imagine. Here's what he writes. All ships that land at the shore of grace weigh anchor from the port of sin. We must start where God starts. Uh, We won't appreciate grace until we understand who we are. We are rebels. We deserve to die. We are incarcerated by our past, by our low road choices, and our high-minded pride. And we've been found guilty. End quote. I understand the Bible, God's word, our authority on all things, on Christ, on the church, on salvation, on grace, almost always talks about grace within or against the backdrop of sin. Have you ever gone to a jewelry store and looked at a diamond? When they pull that sucker out, what kind of backdrop do they set it on? Set it on what? Black, right? They set it black so it shows the beauty all the facets of that gem like they, they don't set on a piece of glass or on white they they want to show the contrast and, and and so here is God's grace declared against the backdrop of sin 
and our need for it. Uh, Romans 3, 21 and following. Paul writes this to them and to us. Uh, but now, someone say, but now. God has shown us a way to be right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. I mean, this is true for me. This is true for you. This is true for everybody in this room. And now the backdrop. Very next verse. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this. Someone say he did this. Through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty of our sins. And so, again, the backdrop of, of, of grace, the, the port we all wait anchor from, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So, so, just who is in need of grace? Who's fallen short of his glorious standard? Everyone, all of us. Turn to the person to your right left and tell them, hey, God's talking about you. He is. He's talking about me, right? Every one of us. And, and let me tell you, we tend to do, we read a verse like that, and we're like, well, sure, I've sinned, but I haven't, like, sin sinned. <laughs> and we compare ourselves to other people, and we're like, hey, have you watched Rally TV? Have you been on TikTok or Instagram lately? I, I, I think I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm doing all right. And so we kind of dismiss our sin by comparing ourselves to others. You ever done that? But, but listen, you know what we're doing when we compare ourselves to other people and feel better to them? We're sinning. <laughs> That's pride. That's self-righteousness. In fact, our pride is probably uglier, uglier than the very sin that we're comparing ourselves to. So everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of God's glorious standard. And listen, when the Bible talks about sin... It often talks about it as like some sickness or virus that we have. And that's why God writing through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53 said the following. He was pierced. Some would say he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. Some would say he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are healed of this virus, this sickness of sin. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yes, sin is sickness and grace is the cure. It's the antidote. But listen, grace means nothing to people who don't recognize their own sickness. Have you ever had trouble admitting that you're sick? I remember many, many years ago in Georgia... On a Sunday morning, I woke up at 6.30 a.m. with the most intense pain I ever had in my lower back in my entire life. I mean, I could barely breathe. And I'll go, I'll be good. I'll make it. You know, took a shower. I'm all right. I'm all right. All right. I couldn't make it. I had to call my friend Ricky. Hey, Ricky, you got to preach for me. You know, and I had what you might have guessed. I had a kidney stone, right? You know, uh, sometimes we have a hard time admitting that we're sick. Sometimes people have a hard time admitting 
that they're a sinner in need of the grace of God. So the Bible says we've all sinned, and that's our diagnosis. And then it gives us our prognosis in Romans 6.23. Again, we all have this infection, and here's what it leads to. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? It's death. Death means separation, right? Physical death is a separation of our spirit from our body. You know, and if you... If you ever had a loved one, you know, I was with my, my first wife and my dad the very moment they went home. And once, once the spirit left, it wasn't, it's like it wasn't even them anymore. Okay? Um, death is separation. Physical death and the spiritual death is separation from God. And that's how the Bible discusses sin. It talks about sin as a type of virus that is spread throughout the whole world. It even talks about how it originated. It identifies patient zero, if you will. So Romans 5.12, we read this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Again, it all started with Adam. So everyone has this infection. Everyone has, has death coming. We've all been diagnosed and prognosed. And then we're introduced to this word grace. We're told that here's the antidote to this infection, this virus that all of us carry. And that's good news, right? Romans 5, verse 15. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater, but even greater is God's wonderful grace. And, and it's get the forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So, so Paul says, hey, yeah, 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 sin is great, but, but grace is greater. It's greater than sin. It's, it's greater than our mistakes. It's greater than our failures. I know we have some first-time visitors, and what we like to do to, to kind of welcome everybody as we ask first-time visitors to come up here and to share the great, their greatest sin struggle. And it's just a, you know, we'd like to beat you into the gang, right? So, uh, Eddie, no, we're not going to do that. Just kidding. Uh, but what is your greatest sin struggle? It may be something that happened last week or maybe years and years ago. It may be some dark, ugly, secret sin that no one knows about. Or maybe, or maybe something that's obvious to other people and they just enjoy pointing it out to you. Regardless this morning, God wants me to tell you, whatever that is, whatever that struggle, whatever that mistake, whatever that failure, God wants me to tell you, grace is greater than Grace is greater than that. It's greater than that failure. It's greater than that mistake. Understood, whatever you want to put on the other side of the equation, grace is greater than Whatever sin comes into your mind, whatever mistake you've made, whatever you most regret, whatever season of life you wish never happened, whatever secret sin you're so desperately trying to hide, God says grace is greater than. Amen? Amen. Listen, we begin to understand the greatness of grace. We'll find that grace makes all the difference. It gives us freedom. It changes us. It bears fruit. And it gives us a hope that's greater than anything that comes our way. Understand, no matter what you've done, no matter how severe the infection or how debilitating the pain of your sin, grace is greater than. Paul continues in verse 16, the same chapter. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to being made right with God, even though, I love those two words, we are guilty of many sins. 
For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live and triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. What does grace do for us? It it brings a right relationship with God. It brings us new life. It it brings triumph over sin and, and death through Jesus. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Again, you can miss a lot, but don't miss this. Don't miss God's grace. It's greater than your sin. It makes you right with God. It gives you a new life. It gives you a second chance. And that's true for everyone. That's true for me. That's true for you. That's true for the person to your right and left. Yes, everyone has sinned, but through Jesus Christ, everyone can be made right with God and find new life. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. But unfortunately, sometimes grace gets missed. And listen, I think it really helps to understand grace when we look at what happens when, it, when it's absent. Like, what do things look like when grace is gone? You know what you call talking about God and leaving grace out? That's called religion. Now, you might not expect to hear this at church or said by a pastor, but I don't like religion. I don't like organized religion. Creates me out. No, I don't like religion. I don't really like religious people. And Jesus didn't either. I mean, his harshest rebukes were not for the sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, and thieves, but for the self-righteous religious. Again, religion was left when you take grace out of the equation. The gospel minus grace equals religion. And religion is not greater than your sin. Religion won't save you. And what is religion? Basically, religion is our attempt to earn God's favor by following a bunch of rules and regulations. Trying to earn God's favor by following a bunch of rules and regulations. You see, religion teaches, believes, and shackles us to this idea that we can be good enough to earn God's favor, to receive his mercy and grace. But listen, that totally undercuts the gospel because the whole point of the gospel is that we cannot be good enough, we'll never be good enough, that we're we're unable to do enough good and avoid enough bad to somehow balance the scales of our holy God's perfect justice. Get it? Good. In fact, Paul in Philippians 3, he's, he's talking about, hey, you know, he says, hey, you know, I, I won the Heisman, you know, for rule keeping, right? I, I, matter of fact, the Pharisees actually called me a Pharisee. I kept all these rules, trying to make myself right with God, going to the synagogue, memorizing the Torah. And here's what he says in Philippians 3, 8, 9, about all that stuff. I consider that them all garbage, rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, and not being right with God because I did all the right things and do all the bad things, but which is through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? He says it's garbage. I tried it. It didn't work. I tried doing all the right things, avoiding bad. It just doesn't work. What works is faith in Jesus Christ. I, I, I want us to look at a chart about religion and grace that kind of help us understand the contrast. The key word in religion is do. 
Right? You got to do more. And, and if you do enough good and, and you don't do enough bad, then may, maybe you'll make the team, right? On the other hand, grace is based on what has been, what, done. It, it's based on the finished work of Christ. It, it's based on what Jesus did on the cross. Like, it's a done deal. And it really is a deal, right? Thank you, Jesus. What a deal. He pays the debt he didn't owe to pay a debt I could never pay. Next, the focus of religion is, is what? It's, it's what? <laughs> it's, okay, thank you. I like participation. On appearance. What other people see on externals, right? We see this all the time when Jesus criticized the religious leaders. He would say things like, hey, you honor me with your lips. You, you say all the right things, but your heart is nowhere near me. Or, or he'd say things like, hey, you look religious. You look good on the outside. You're wearing all the right things, but you know what you're like? You're like this tomb, this grave that is full of dead man's bones. Focus of grace is on the inward. It's on the heart. It's on God's spirit working in us that change us from the inside out. The foundation of religion is on its own, its own rules. What happens typically in religion is not only do we have rules from the Bible, we come up with our own rules, right? New ones that aren't even in the Bible. Well, if you're really a Christian, you won't smoke or chew or go out with women who do, right? I've heard that saying. <laughs> well, you get my point, right? Follow these rules. Do this. Don't watch those movies. Don't go there. Meanwhile, grace is based on relationship. And so that means that a relationship with God isn't up in the air every time that we mess up. Like, parents, you have children. Do they ever mess up? Are they like, well, you're not my kid now. You messed up, right? No, it's based on a relationship. We have a relationship with God. Uh, What's the motivation for religion? Like, how, how does religion get people to do what it wants? Shame. Shame. It controls people by making them feel bad about themselves. Maybe you grew up in a family or church like that. It was a religious approach where they wanted to use shame to make you feel bad in order to control you. But I do think it's important to point out that sometimes what is making, what's making us feel bad is Conviction. And conviction is a good thing. I mean, if we are sinning, we should feel bad, right? And we should feel convicted to change. But listen, conviction without the gospel, conviction without the good news, without the cure, without the antidote, without grace is just religion. The other hand, the motivation for grace is what? It's gratitude. It's where we live with this massive appreciation for what's been done for us, for what Jesus Christ endured for us. Gratitude that the Father sent his one only Son. A gratitude that Jesus endured six hours on a cross to pay our debt. Are you kidding me? And so it's our gratitude, not, not shame, that motivates you and I to do the things that rule keeping could never get us to do. Get it? Good. Next, the feeling of religion. Religion leaves you with a feeling of feelings of fear or frustration. 
You have this, you have this, this fear of, of, of condemnation. You, you, you know this idea, oh, if Jesus came back right now, I don't know if I'd make it. I hope he doesn't return when I'm screwing up again. Or there's this frustration where you're trying to be good enough, but you never seem to measure up. You always seem to come up short. The sense of frustration. But grace gives you the feeling of, of freedom. Because there is no measuring up. Because Christ already measured up for you. Christ already nailed our failures on a cross. Amen? It's freedom. The outcome of religion is either pride or guilt. Either one. Pride, I'm so much better than all those sinners out there. I'm such a good rule keeper. I would never do what they're doing. Or guilt, I haven't done enough. I messed up again. The outcome of grace is, is love. I'm saying, when our focus is on his grace and our lives, we'll not only experience a love beyond reason, a perfect love that drives our fear away, but we will express a love beyond reason. As we like the woman we met in her Bible reading this week in, in Luke chapter 7, where a sinful woman takes an ex, a year's worth of perfume and dumps it on Jesus' feet, pours it out on Jesus' feet, and the religious are freaking out. Why is he letting this woman even touch him? And Jesus says, I, I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. You see, when we realize what God has done for us, we just pour out our lives and love for him. Not only that, we become a, a, a reflection of his grace to people who hurt us, to people who wrong us. Again, next week we're going to talk about grace is greater than you're hurt. And you've been hurt, and I've been hurt, but grace is greater than that hurt. Bottom line, grace is greater than religion. Rule keeping is not an effective treatment for the sin virus. Instead, grace is what we need. However, to fully understand grace, we, we need, it's not enough just to simply see it or, or understand what happens when we miss it. We have to, we need more than an explanation. We need an experience. Do you know that Jesus never uses the word grace one time? Even though it's used a hundred times in the New Testament, Jesus never used the word, but he demonstrated grace countless times when he countered men and women in the Gospels. Because the most effective way to understand grace is through experience. A guy named E.B. White wrote, grace can be dissected like a frog, but the thing dies in the process. Yeah, we can take an academic approach to grace to understand grace. We can read definitions in a the theological dictionary, do word studies, and that's all good and helpful. But if that's all we do. We're like, it's like dissecting a frog. We're going to kill it. There's no way to dissect it without killing it in the process. Understand, grace, the power of grace, has to be experienced. And ex an explanation is not enough. So that's why so much of the gospel is about story. Just one story as we wrap up from John 8. Picture the scene. Jesus is teaching the courtyard one early morning. And uh, we don't know what he's teaching, but whatever it was, he was interrupted by this angry mob that kind of burst through the gates. And everyone's attention shifts from Jesus to this, this mob, and this mob is made up of the religious leaders, the spiritual leaders. And being pushed in, in front of them is this woman that we can assume is probably covered in nothing more than a bedsheet, if that. 
And she's pushed to the dirt on the ground in front of Jesus. And one of the spiritual leaders, we read in John 8, 3, and 4, says, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law tells us to stone her. What do you say? He doesn't say anything. And I'm sure his silence and his calmness start to freak them out. And Jesus, he bends down and he starts writing with his finger in the sand. A lot of speculation what he's writing. Is he writing all the sins these people had committed? There probably wasn't enough sand to do that, right? Then one of the religious leaders says to Jesus, what do you say? What should we do? And Jesus stands up and he looks around. Well, if any of you is without sin or mistakes, then you can cast the first stone. And he bends down and starts writing in the sand again. And one by one, the stones drop to the ground. And she looks at him, and, and his eyes are not full of judgment and compassion. Like that, remember the song? And I can see the love in his eyes. Like she sees compassion and grace. He says, Where, where are your accusers? Is there no one left to condemn you? And I said, Jesus. Jesus knows her. I mean, Jesus knew her when she was being knit in the womb. Jesus has numbered every hair on her head. Jesus has stored her tears in a bottle in heaven. He knows her. He knows about her sin. He knows about her immorality. And she knows that he knows. And so this, this is guilt. This is sin. She's caught in the act. The door's been ripped open. She's pulled from the bed. I mean, there's no question about her guilt. And listen, guilt is not all bad. In fact, God uses appropriate amount, appropriate doses of guilt to awaken us to sin. And you, you may want to write this down. God's guilt, God's guilt brings just enough regret to change us. Satan's, on the other hand, brings enough regret to enslave us. God's guilt brings just enough regret to change us. Satan's, on the other hand, brings enough regret to, regret to enslave us. It looked like it was the worst day of her life. Her darkest secret had been found out. But the worst day of her life became the best day of her life because of her brokenness, she meets Jesus and discovers that grace is greater than her sin. Where are your accusers? Did even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Understand, church, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Listen, here's the deal. If you are a saint, you indeed have a past and you would be, better, you would be a better saint if you remembered your past and considered the pit from which God pulled you out of. And if you're a sinner, then by God's grace, you can have a wonderful future if you come to Christ and surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. Now, the order of Jesus' words to this woman are, are, are really important. Note, he didn't say, sin no more, and I won't condemn you. That's what religious people say, right? Clean up your act, and then we'll accept you. Jesus says, hey, I, hey I'll forgive you, and then I'll come alongside you and give you the power to help clean up your act. And religion says, change or I'll condemn you. It uses fear and intimidation to make people measure up. Grace says, I've forgiven you, now let me help you change your life. Listen, 
We don't change in order to be accepted. We change because we're already accepted. Listen, nothing motivates and powers a new life like grace. Grace does what rules can never do. It changes lives and bears fruit all over the world. Another quote from Max Lakeda. Grace is more than a verb, more than a noun, more present than past tense. Grace didn't just happen, it happens. The same work God did through Christ long ago on the cross is a work God does through Christ right now in your lives. Let him do his work. Let grace trump your arrest record. Let grace trump your critics and guilty conscience. See yourself for who you are, God's personal remodeling project. Not a work to yourself, but a work in his hands. No longer defined by your failures, but refined by your failures. Trust in less in what you do and more what Christ Jesus has already done. Grace. End quote. Brothers and sisters, it's October the 15th, 2023. I have good news of great joy for everyone in this room. Grace is greater than your mistakes. It's greater than your sins. It's greater than your failures. Amen? See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God. Where are your accusers? Question, who are your accusers? Is it someone from your past? Is it someone from your present? Is it a parent? Is it a spouse? Is it an ex-spouse, child, a friend? Is it your own heart and mind? Is it your greatest accuser? Grace is greater than your accusers. Grace is greater than your sin. Grace is greater than your mistakes. Grace is greater than your failures. You know, one of the biggest problems I see for Christians today is that a lot of Christians have been forgiven. They receive grace, but they don't really, we don't really live in it fully. We continue to feel guilt and shame for what we've done instead of living in the peace and joy of God's grace that's been poured out over us because we surrender to Jesus. Now, some of that's on the church. Some of that's on Jesus' followers, on people who love to keep a record of wrongs and hold stuff over our heads indefinitely, right? You know, it was 37 years ago, but hey, you know what? I'm going to... It's kind of crazy because the only holy and righteous one, the one who, who ultimately every sin's against, you know what Jesus is like? He's like, what are you talking about? I, I removed that sin as far as east from the west. I, I buried it in the deepest part of the ocean. When I look at you, I see you without blemish or defect because grace is greater than your sin and mistakes. See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God, that no one misses out that grace is greater than our sins and mistakes and we make them every stinking day, <laughs> countless times every day. As we close here, is anyone in here going to miss the grace of God? Yeah. How does a Jesus follower miss it? You know, if you're a Jesus follower, you surrender to him. Remember, God uses guilt to get us to change. Satan used the guilt to enslave us. If you're a Jesus follower and you messed up, that means you're alive and breathing. All you have to do is repent 
and ask for forgiveness, and he forgives you, and it's gone. It's removed. It's no longer on you. He forgives everything, right? You don't have to earn it. You don't say, well, you know, this week I'm going to read my Bible. If I read my Bible more, maybe he'll forgive me. If I start serving in church, I'm not saying those things are important, but they don't save you. Grace saves you. And so, man, if you're a Christian struggling as you look at in the mirror and say, hey, man, I, I mess up so much, God knows that. And his grace is there to cover that. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered to him, man, I'll be around after service. You can talk to me. You know, don't miss out on the greatest deal you ever get. Eternity in heaven in a world without pain, sorrow, and disease. Jesus paying your debt. Holy Spirit coming to live inside of you. Man, it's the best deal ever. If you're here today and you've been maybe considering that and you've never made the step to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and we see in the Bible that people come to Christ, they believe in who he is, they repent of living for themselves, they repent of being in charge of their life, they say, Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. <clears throat> and then they are buried in baptism. You know, the other day, I, I made sure the baptism was nice and clean. Yes, you know, so we, have, we have fresh, clean water back there. You know, if you've never made that decision, is that the right temperature? You know? To make Jesus not, not just your Savior, but your Lord, yeah. don't miss out on the best you'll ever. And again, I'm available 24-7 to talk to you about it. But church, let's live in His grace and let's be dispensers of, of His grace because we live in a world where we all mess up, don't we? But His grace can cover it all. Amen? And I'm going to stand and pray. That, uh, after the song, we take communion. We do that every week at, at Maple Grove. And we have various stations off to the sides, and you can just grab your um, communion cup at that point in time. So if you guys would stand, I'm going to pray us into the song. It is gratitude, right? Uh, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for your grace that's greater than my mistakes. Lord, I, I've made so many mistakes. And Lord, sometimes it's like, hey, what do I, how do I respond? And Lord, this song is the perfect song, gratitude. Lord, I pray you'll fill this place with gratitude for you, that you did it all for us, that it's not about do, it's about done. It's not about rules, it's about relationships. Jesus, we love you. God, I pray for those fellow Jesus followers who keep messing up like I do, keep messing up the same way like I do. Grace is greater than. I pray for those who are seeking him, Lord, they'll realize that what they need is you. In Jesus' name, amen.